Well, another week of lockdown has come and gone. Are all the days merging together for some of you? Just another day in paradise. Just another day living the dream, said an employee at Walmart just this week. Each day, just like the, the last day, especially when you're under quarantine. Really? Are all the days really the same? We have just come through the remembrance of one of the most important days in the history of the universe as we know it. Even though things looked the same, nothing was the same as the day before. Of course, I am talking about Resurrection Sunday, the day we call Easter. All the rules changed on that day, but nothing looked different. Satan and death were defeated. Jesus demonstrated his lordship over every aspect of the physical creation, and the heavenly Father placed all things under him. God provided a way of reconciliation whereby he showed ultimate mercy but maintained ultimate justice through the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. Sin was punished and paid for, yet we received grace. To all who received Jesus as Savior and Lord, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And an end point to time as we know it was declared when Jesus would return and God would set up the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness. Something profound and game-changing had entered the world, but everything looked and felt the same, kind of like COVID-19. Right now, people are out of work. Families are trapped at home. Borders are locked tight. The world economy will take a huge hit this year, like during the Great Depression. Surgeries are canceled. Taxes are delayed, or at least the deadlines are. And when has that ever happened, right? Planes are grounded. Stock market is plunging. But everything looks the same. The sun comes up every morning. Sometimes it rains, sometimes it doesn't. It snows in Maine, it's hot in Florida. We flip a switch, the light comes on, water comes out at the tap at the sink. What do you do in a world that is different and yet doesn't feel different? To be real specific here, how do you live with the reality of the resurrection when you don't get to see the risen Lord every day? What do you do on the Monday after Easter Sunday? That was the dilemma facing the disciples. What would preserve the truth of the universe-altering events for them? And how do you incorporate the implications of Easter into your everyday life once the half-price candy is sold out at Walmart? The Jews had some interesting aids to help them remember the important stuff, like the Torah and Passover. Jewish males had special, special phylacteries um, called tefillin that they would bind on their hands and wear on their heads as they prayed. It was called laying tefillin. 
They had the week-long celebration instituted by God as a remembrance and participatory meal. They had copies of Deuteronomy 6-9 mounted in little boxes shaped like scrolls that would be mounted on their doorposts. Whenever you see one or pass by it, you touch your lips, then touch the scroll box, the mezuzah. I wonder how COVID-19 is affecting that particular practice in these times. They had coming-of-age ceremonies called bar mitzvah for young men at age 13 and bat mitzvah for young women at 12. We find that first mentioned in the Talmud in the 1300s. So I don't know whether Jesus had a bar mitzvah or not, but we first find it talked about in the Talmud in 1300s. So, so there were some things that the Jews had to help them remembering the life-giving interventions that God had made on their behalf. The Jews were to be different from other people because of God's direct intervention in their history. Well, Christians are to be no less a holy and distinctive people because of God's direct interaction into each of our lives. But it's the living in the light of the reality of Easter that is our focus this morning. How is your life different, my life different, because of what Jesus did on that ordinary, extraordinary day 2,000 years ago in Palestine? Resurrection. What is different for you? Here are some things that are different for me. Number one. I have a rock-solid basis for hope. The evidence for that resurrection is good enough for me. Now it's my job to live out my life in light of that hope. Otherwise, it's all just words. So what does it look like to live in that hope? Five quick things. Number one, because of my hope, I should not be freaking out because of temporary setbacks. Number two, I should be taking the long view to see what really matters. Number three, I should be accepting hardships as teaching tools that God uses to prepare us for eternity. Number four, I should be living with contentment rather than frantic desperation to prove myself or make my mark on history. It's not about me anyway. I can be okay letting Jesus get all the glory and honor and praise. Can you be okay with that too? I'm not as easily offended. This is number five. I'm not as easily offended as I used to be. I didn't say I don't get offended. Just I'm not as easily offended. And about that contentment issue, how much stuff do we really need anyway in light of the resurrection? So based on the resurrection, I have hope. And it also gives me, number two, a reason to get up in the morning. I have a reason that I'm still here, living, breathing on planet Earth in the physical realm. Why do you get up in the morning? I'm kind of taking a poll here. If you're retired, you don't have to, do you? I understand if you have families and all, paying the bills, living the dream. But listen to Paul. 
If anyone had earned a free pass, it's him. Professor Wright talked about this on our class on Wednesday night. Paul is writing from prison. If anybody deserves a break, it's Paul. But we read in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. If you want to turn, you can do that, or you can just follow along on the slides. Paul says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He's already been rejoicing, but he says, I'm going to continue to rejoice. Why? For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain or profit. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through, it, through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. I, Bob, have worked very hard for this truth to sink into my bones, and I hope that the truth of this passage will sink into your bones as well. For me to live is Christ, and to die is better yet. It's not about me. That's a tough one. Because the world operates on a different script. He says, if I am to go on living in the body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. What in the world does that mean? Keep reading in verse 22. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But catch this. This is important. Verse 24. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Newsflash, God could have taken us uh, to heaven when we were saved. We come out of the water of baptism and we're transported straight to heaven. Score! No more pain. No more temptation. No more screwing up. Take me now, Jesus. But if I go on living in the flesh, it will mean fruitful labor for me on your behalf. It is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So, you are the reason I get up in the morning. You are the reason God hasn't taken me home yet. Very important question. Who is God keeping you around for? According to Paul, there is someone. You may not even know who they are yet, but you will or could make a profound difference in their life for eternity.
That choice is up to you, whether to make a difference or not. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, that's why you are still here. So make your time count. Find that person or assume it may be more than one person like it was for Paul. Notice in this whole passage, he says, you guys, y'all, you, addressing a group. In the Greek, it's second person plural. He's speaking to all of them. That if I go on living in the flesh, you all are the reason I hang around. The world looked the same that Sunday morning when Jesus was raised from the dead. But everything of eternal significance had changed. Like what? Like the hope you can have that enables you to not freak out by temporary setbacks. Uh, to take the long view and pursue what really matters. Like what? To accept hardships as teaching tools that God uses to prepare us for eternity. Like what? Well, to live with contentment. Not to be as easily offended as we used to be. That's what hope can give us. And it gives us the reason to go on living in the flesh for others, to help them be transformed for eternity. Tomorrow it'll look the same, and so will the next day. But something profound happened 2,000 years ago that can and should have a direct impact on how you live your life and how I live my life in very specific ways. How you live your life unique to you and the people God brings or has already brought into your life. Well, I've listed two ways that my life has been altered by the resurrection. What are some ways to you that the resurrection has completely transformed your reality? The resurrection has happened. It's a done deal. But what about the Sunday after Easter and the Monday after that? That's what matters now, how we respond to the resurrection.